All right, why don't you stand back up really quick? We're going to um, read God's word together. Isaiah 54, 2. We're talking about stretching ourselves. God has more for us, more capability in us, all those things. Isaiah 54, 2. Let's read it together. Come on, you know it by now. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. See, it's a time of expansion. All right, the way we're going to flesh this out this morning is 1 Kings chapter 17, starting in verse 7. Sometime later when the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land, then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Zidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Now, can we just stop there? Has God ever led you from a season of lack to somebody who didn't have anything? That's always encouraging, isn't it? Lord, I appreciate that you care about me enough to not leave me here with the dried up brook. But now you're going to send me to somebody who doesn't have anything. Maybe we could rethink about rethink this journey. So he tells him up front, I have directed a widow there to stay to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it. He called out, hey, bring me a sandwich. <laughs> Isn't that what he said? And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as your Lord God lives, she replied. I don't have any bread. A handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home. Make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home. Do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and for your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry till the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry, keeping with the word of of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. God has the infinite ability to change us and we pray that our hearts will be soft enough and our minds attentive enough for it to do it today. We already know your presence here, God, so we pray that through your presence and your word this morning, God, that we be transformed to become more like Christ. Lord, that as we talk about expansion, God, that we manage your resources in such a way that a great harvest would come from it. We thank you for the opportunity, God. You've entrusted us as your sons and daughters. So we pray that we be found worthy with what you've given us. Do it today. In Christ's name we pray and everyone said, amen and amen. All right, you may be seated. Look at your neighbor and say, bro, do you even know what's possible? Ask him that. Do you even know what's possible? I need to give you a little backstory on this. It sounds like Elijah just comes out of nowhere. And uh, all of a sudden he's by a brook and the brook is drying up. 
Actually, what had happened is um, Elijah was living in the penalty that he had proclaimed. Uh, it's an irony that you might miss, but uh, there's a king named Ahab who had come into power and, in Israel, and uh, he had gotten the title of the worst king in the history of Israel. How would you like to have that title? I'm the worst one ever. And so he has the title. He had, he had married a, a woman from outside of Israel. And when the Bible says that, it's not talking about marrying your sister. It's talking about God's plan for them at the beginning was to stay inside the Israelite people. Because what happens inevitably all the time is when Israel would go outside of their people to marry, they would adopt the customs and traditions and, and worship of the people they married. It happened over and over and over. It got Solomon in a lot of trouble. So here is the same context, the same situation that Ahab had married Jezebel, and he had not only adopted her uh, worship of Baal, he had started building shrines to it and altars. It's one thing to let it go on, it's another thing to endorse it. And so he had, he had been the king of Israel, who Israel only has one God, and as the leader of Israel had now, uh, now chose to build an altar to another God. And so he was, the Bible says that he had provoked God more than any other king in history. And so now Elijah is pronouncing a judgment on him and he goes to him and says, hey, listen, it's not going to rain unless I say so. Wouldn't you like to have that power? Just walk in and be like, hey, I didn't get good customer service here. It's not going to rain until I say. So, the irony of the whole situation is now Elijah's living in the judgment that he had pronounced. And I want to say this. I didn't say this in the first service, but you're going to get bonus material. I want to say this, that oftentimes the land we live in is experiencing judgment, and God's not calling us to leave it. He's calling us to impact it inside the judgment. You know, we used to hear stuff like, we're in the world, but not of it. We'd be insulated from everything that happened to it, right? But my... But I look at this and realize that Elijah is struggling for food just like everyone else was because the drought that he pronounced was coming true. So oftentimes we live in a society where we're there to proclaim peace in the midst of judgment. We're there to proclaim hope in the midst of judgment. We are here on the earth in the midst of judgment at times saying there is a way out. There is hope. There is provision. There is peace that passes all understanding. So we're living in the judgment of sin, yet we're not confined to it and our lives aren't dictated by it. So what happens is, God is providing for Elijah in the middle of this catastrophe. So God tells him to sit down by the brook and he'll provide water for him. And then he provides food by by ravens uh, twice a day. I don't know, somewhere around eight and five probably. So... Ravens were a nasty bird. Israelites were not allowed to eat ravens. Um, and so it, there's more irony in the story that a detestable thing like a raven would bring uh, sustenance to Elijah. But that's the way God had set it up. So could you imagine being by the brook every day and having birds drop bread and meat to you? I'd start to believe anything, wouldn't you? I'd start to believe anything. Like, oh, here it comes again. Wow. And they only picked the bones a little bit this time. That's weird. So here's where we find 
Now the drought is taking its toll on even Elijah's miracle. And I think sometimes God moves us from miracle to miracle because if not, we stay in the old times, don't we? I'll get to that here in a second. So what happens is the brook dries up, so God instructs him because actually God had prepared in advance. The Bible says that he knows what you need even before you ask of it. Before your need arises, he's already provided a way out. So he tells him, when the brook dries up, hey, I have already prepared a widow in Zarephath to provide for you. The only problem is God didn't tell the widow. You ever been led to a place where they didn't realize you were going to show up in need? <laughs> hey, mom, I'm back. <laughs> we thought you were gone for good there, son. <laughs> wow. <sighs> Well, come on in. I'll fix you some dinner. So, so Elijah goes to the widow. He finds her. He finds her. She's there. Could you imagine the joy in Elijah's heart when he runs away? He's like, you're here. This is awesome. Why would I have doubted? I've been being fed by ravens. So he runs across her and he says, hey, can you give me a, give me a drink of water? Now, the irony is so thick in this whole story because he's asking for something that there's a shortage of. And she doesn't even blink about that. But the thing that she dictates is, or the, the thing that she thinks is more important than the water that she has a limited supply of, she balks on. So watch this. Elijah asked her for water, which there has been no rain. And she says, sure, I'll get you some water. When he yells out, hey, can I get a sandwich with that? She comes back and she says, listen, here's my deal. I got enough to feed me and my son. We're going to eat it and die. Yeah, I know with all that stuff, but could you go make me a loaf of bread? So imagine Elijah's position, going to a woman who doesn't have, she doesn't believe she's got enough for herself. And now he's asking her to make him something. But you know what the amazing thing is? God always knows actually what you have. See, we, we think we know the potential of things. And I told you a couple weeks ago, we always base the potential of something based on the history of something, right? And so the, the thing is, we always look back to, to dictate what's going to happen forward. And with God, that, that rarely is the case. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that means he can always surprise us over and over and over. What he did in the past doesn't limit him to what he can do in the future. So if he healed four people in the past, he could heal a thousand tomorrow. He is not limited by, well, you only did this in the past. I'm not sure you can do this in the future. So we are always limited by what we've accomplished before. And so we always limit what we can do in the future by what we've accomplished in the past. So God is never like that. So what she thinks is that I'm in, I'm in need and I'm in lack. It's not going to get any better. I can't do this in the future. And Elijah says, no, 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 God can. God can do Anything. We translate that into the, that gets translated into the New Testament that actually we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And then we find out all through scripture that what looks impossible with man is always, what looks impossible with man is always possible with God. So I want you to understand something up front. Elijah did not go ask her to get more stuff. He didn't. He didn't say, hey, listen, I want, to go to your, I want you to go to your neighbors and get some more stuff, fix me something. He said, out of what you have, fix me a loaf of bread. And then after you've brought it to me, go home and fix yourself something. I want you to know this morning, God can use what you have right now. You don't need any more. 
Everybody's like, well, actually, I do. You haven't seen my checkbook lately. If we can get to the place where we understand that God can use exactly what we have right now, that we actually don't need any more for him to do a miracle in our lives. Like, he can do it with what we have. It's all through Scripture, actually. It's all through scripture, God using what people have in the moment to do something amazing. He looks at Moses and he says, I want you to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Well, how do I do that? What do you have in your hand currently? I have a staff. All right, we'll use that. We'll use that. I don't need you to get anything else. As a matter of fact, God argued with him when he acted like he needed someone else. Well, I can't do this by myself. Yes, you can. You've got enough in you and with you right now to accomplish all that I've called you to do. You don't need anything else. When the disciples, when he's preaching up on the mountainside and there's 5,000 men alone that need to eat, the disciples come to him. We talked about this a couple weeks ago where he, they come to him and they say, they say, all we have is two loaves of, I always say that, two loaves of fish and five pieces of bread. Two loaves of bread and five fish. He doesn't say, go down to the store and get more. He says, what you brought to me is enough. What you're bringing to me currently is enough for me to do what I need to do with it. And so, what we, what we do in our society is, we, is we're constantly coming to God saying, I need more, and ignoring the fact that he can use what I have now. And that's totally different faith right there. Uh, God, I'm believing you. I have the faith to believe you for more. And he's like, I need you to have the faith to believe me for what you have now. So that's different. Because if he will always provide me before I need it, then I don't have to have faith to need it. What he's asking me to do is use what I have even though I need more. That's tricky. I pray for increase. He says, I'm giving you resource. You know, one of our core values is resourcefulness. And um, it's kind of the way way I look at life. And I, I believe that God tries to teach us some stuff. And I am trying... I am trying as hard as I can. We have a wonderful staff here at the church and a wonderful volunteers and, and you should, should definitely get involved. But here's one of the things that is a core value to us. It's called resourcefulness because I believe God can stretch what we already have. And if you don't believe that, you'll just ask for more. You'll just ask for more and ask for more and ask for more. And the miracle is not more. It's stretching what you have. And so what you find is churches, when they start to grow and they start to get more money, they just start buying things. Because we have more so we can get more. Instead of the miracle reoccurring over and over again of not necessarily getting more, but having what you have stretched. And so, it's, God, can you make my car last longer than it should? (laughs) Nobody's ever prayed that. We pray, God, give me a new car. Because, I mean, after all, you're God. Right? God, give me a new vehicle. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with vehicles. But what we miss out on is the capability of God to take what we have and turn it into more. So he only asked her to bring what she had. He didn't say go get more, borrow things. He didn't say anything like that. He said, bring me what you have. Bring me what you have. Bring me what you have. Well, this is all we have. That's enough. That's enough. Just why don't you make me a loaf of bread? All right. I can imagine her walking back to the house with her son. Can you imagine the audacity of this guy? He's got to be a prophet. I know what you think when you're sitting out there. Trust me. I've been in church all my life. What's that preacher think he is telling me this? 
Can you imagine? He's never been in my circumstance. So what happens is they go back and they make the cake. They bring it back to him. Now, I want to point out something else here really quick. That I want to make sure the work you are doing with what God has given you will produce something. Because we're all given something, but what we're doing with it may or may not produce anything. Now, remember what the woman said. She, she told Elijah when he said, hey, can you make me a sandwich? She comes back to him and says, surely as the Lord lives, I've got a little flour in a jar and some oil in a jug. I'm going to gather up some sticks. I'm going to go back and make a fire. And we're going to fix our last meal. And then we are going to die. She was acting like her last meal was going to be poison. She had a defeatist attitude about it. But watch this. I'm thinking the whole time, why are you going to the trouble of fixing the last meal? What point is it? If you're going to die anyway, why eat? You're going to go through all this trouble to gather up the sticks, all this trouble to make the fire, all this trouble to cook your food. If you're going to die, just eat it raw. You can't get sick. Why worry about it? You're going to throw all this trouble, all this trouble, do all this work, and it's going to produce nothing. You know what some of the most frustrating times in my life are? Are when I'm using the resources God's given me in the wrong way, and they're producing nothing. Because look, God gives us a resource to do all that we're doing. But if I use it in a way that he can't put a return on it, then I can't get a return on it. If I use it in a way that won't, if, if my actual labor isn't labor that'll produce anything, then why do it? And so what Elijah says is don't go off and do all that work for no reason. Why don't you go fix me something? Bring it back. Do something that will produce something. Do something with your life. Do something with your resources that will produce something later on. Do something that's going to mean something. Do something that's going to bring a harvest. Now, now let's get into sowing and reaping and all that stuff. And I, and I know you're, you're thinking, I've heard this before. I've heard this before. But I think it's important that we get this right. The society we live in today, you don't have to sow or reap anything. You go in the store and you just reap. Right? So there's an endless supply of grade A beef. There's an endless supply of corn on the cob. There's an endless supply. You can get frozen corn on the cob. You get it whenever you want. You can get it whenever you want. You don't have to wait for a harvest season of corn. Because, I mean, you can get frozen Brussels sprouts. Why they, why they create an endless supply of those, I have no idea. <laughs> you can get them all year round. There is no harvesting and reaping. You just get them. Brussels sprouts. They're always there. No one's buying them. And they're just there all the time. The no one. Walk by, meet, everybody's gathered around looking for the deal. Brussels sprouts been cheap since they started. Nobody wants them. They're just there, frozen. Now watch this. Here's the danger. We eat the harvest. We eat the harvest, but we also eat the investment. We're eating the harvest and the seed. So watch the way the way real farming used to work is you would you would have seed from a previous harvest, right? So you had seed from a previous harvest. You didn't go down to Bolts's hardware store and get seed. The seed came 
from the previous harvest. Now, I don't, I like tomatoes in certain circumstances. But the best tomatoes I've heard are heirloom tomatoes, right? Come on, if you're a foodie out there, give me an amen. The best tomatoes are heirloom tomatoes. And heirloom tomatoes mean they came from the seeds of the tomatoes before, right? It's all in the same line. It's like really good because they just keep making tomatoes out of the same tomatoes. Sticker shot, or, uh, you know, spoiler alert, that's the way it's supposed to happen, by the way. So what happens is, what happens is, I plant from a previous harvest. I put it in the ground. If I eat all of the previous harvest, I have nothing to put in the ground. So if I consume everything that I was supposed to plant, I cannot then pray that a harvest would come up from nothing. So now I'm actually praying against natural order of things. I'm actually praying for God to do something that wasn't designed to do. Okay, I'm going to take some of what I harvested and I'm going to put it in the ground. And I'm not going to eat it all. I don't care how much the kids like corn on the cob. We've got to save some corn. I said corn seeds the first thing I realized. It's, it's redundant. It's corn. You plant corn. So what happens is some of you just got that. You're like, really? I thought there was corn seed. You're like. We've got a long way to come, church. A long way to come. God's trying to bless you. We're going to get there. Watch this. If you consume things that were supposed to be planted, you will run out of stuff to consume. So watch what happens. Her initial instinct is to eat the seed. Elijah says, don't eat it yet. Don't eat it yet. Go do some work that will produce something. Trust God in this moment. And so he says, don't, don't do work that produces nothing. Don't just eat. Don't fix your last meal. Eat it and give up. No, no, no. God has asked you to step out in faith and fix me a loaf of bread. He told me he planned for you to do this. So she has to turn around and take something that she was going to consume, and now she has to plant it in something she's not sure of. So that's called faith. So what happens is she goes back and plants it. Now let me let, let's go back to the let's go back to the farming analogy. So you put in the ground a seed, and then after you work at it, it pops up. And what happens is more comes up than what you put down. Oh, I love that, don't you? More comes up than what you put down. Now, I have to be wise about what comes up because if I want more to come up next year, I have to plant more than I did last year. Oh, man, you didn't tell me that. I planted the same amount, but I wanted more corn. So here's what happens. Let, let, me, let me give you a flashback into our lives. So 20, almost 20 Two years ago now, 23 years ago now, marriage conference coming up. I'll get it right. We, um, I work, uh, man, I worked hard. And I've, I've said this out loud here before, and I've, I've come under immense ridicule for it. Um, but when, when we first met each other, I, I mean, I didn't make a lot of money. I just didn't make any money, really. So that's how you know she really loved me. <laughs> so I worked at the Martinsburg Mall 
as a as a mall law enforcement officer. I changed it. I changed it. I didn't want to say cop because that has, you know, you'd think, sir, I had a uniform and a radio. That's about it. And I went to the gym and I had two guns. Okay, back to being serious. I made $6 an hour at that job. Now, I know that some of you are in here like, well, son, I remember when I made 25 cents a day. Uh, Okay, this is my story, and I appreciate yours. But I made $6 an hour. Inflation was terrible in the 90s. So I made $6 an hour, right? I worked another job where I was a top-secret loss prevention person. I couldn't even tell my wife what I did. You know, I was in Sears, like, back on the cameras, chasing people. I made like six twenty-five at that job. So I had to work 80 hours a week to make what a regular guy made, you know, 40 hours a week, $12 an hour. Is, you know, it's a tough life. So if you add up the money I made that first year, it was probably $18,000. I mean, it, was, it wasn't anything. Back then, it wasn't even anything. So 10%, come on, you've, you've heard about the tithe, right? Your church is talking about that all, all the time. Man, we got a tithe. The tithe. And, um, and it is biblical. It's all through the Old Testament about giving your first fruits. And it is a biblical context. When you get in the New Testament, Jesus always expands everything that you think about. How many times do I have to forgive somebody versus how many times I really expect you to forgive somebody. What giving looks like versus here's what laying your life down looks like. And so, so 10% for us back then my wife was still in school. You, she was working at a restaurant, and uh, we just didn't make any money. So, like, let's say we made $20,000 a year. 10% of $20,000 is what? $2,000. That means we were living on $18,000. And I'm like, whoa. That is a huge deal, right? $2,000, Lord, I'm... This is my last cake. But we're going to trust you with it. We're going to trust you with it. We're going to trust you with it. God supplied every step of the way. The issue is we make more money now. It's like 26000 <laughs> But I asked myself, has my seed planting kept up with my harvesting? Because watch how the formula works. If as a a people trying to follow God who gave everything he had, his only begotten son, to whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If if we're trying to emulate Christ and the the one who laid down his life for us, there was unconditional, unfettered love who poured everything he had out for us. What we do is we get caught up in the number game, right? Well, man, God, I want you to bless me. I'm still sowing in 10%. But, the, but the, the ratios get whacked out, don't they? Because 10% of 20000 is what? $2,000, now I'm living on 18000 10% of 100000 Okay, okay. Settle down, math teachers. I was just... 10000 bucks, right? What's 10000 from 100000 $90,000. And what we're doing is we're going, God, barely making it here. Wow. Barely making it. Lord, need increase. 
on this harvest. And he's like, well, you haven't thought about investing anymore. You haven't, you're still really sowing the same percentage that you're sowing before. You're still asking, your harvest has increased, but not exponentially like I think you want it to. So what happens, what happens with us is we get locked into a mindset when God is trying to show us what, what could actually really happen. So remember, I asked you at the beginning, look, do you even know? Do you even know what's possible? Do you even know what's possible? Do we even know what's possible? Because what God is doing is he's, is he's looking at the widow and saying, I have enough to supply for you according to my riches and glory. And if you would sow into it, then I'll make sure it goes farther than you ever dreamed. But I need you to keep sowing. I need you to keep sowing. And, and, and here's, here's a cool thing that happens. The promise is only until it rains. And I thought, well, that's stupid. Why wouldn't you just go and open up the cabinet every day? It's like an oil tree in the backyard or whatever. It's like a flower tree. Like you just walk in, open up the cabinet, and there's more flour there. There's more oil there. I don't have to do anything. I could start marketing this stuff. I could start pouring it in other containers and selling it on the weekends at the farmer's market and call it the never-ending supply of oil and then charge whatever I want to. Like, okay, start thinking about it. But Elijah says it will last until the rain comes. And I thought, oh, oh, there's a timeline on that blessing. Oh, he doesn't want you to sit there, lady. He doesn't want you to sit there and just soak it up. He will provide for you in this season in a miraculous way. But next season, you're going to have to go back to planting. (laughs) Okay, so remember I talked to you about like what we do is we get caught up in the back then. We get caught up with the, we get caught up with the God did miracles when we first got married. We get caught up with, man, he, he, and we forget that we actually sing songs about he can do it again. And so what we do is we take the same measure we did 10 years ago and we try to use it today. And God says, listen, we've already been through that. We've already been through that blessing. Why don't you now trust me for something different? Why don't you now trust me for more? And the way to trust me for more is to show me that you trust me for more. So while it was so difficult back then, I've been able to budget it in now. Oh, don't you love budgets? Don't you love budgets? Budgets are your arch nemesis until it comes to generosity. Think about it. Budgets are the things we hate doing. We hate doing. We hate budgets. Like, I don't want, I don't want my wife telling me what I can spend. I earn that money, right? I don't want my husband telling me. So we got to sit down together. We gotta argue a little bit. We gotta come to a budget. It's just time consuming and evil and it's all these bad things. And then when it comes to generosity, we go, man, the budget, man. God told me to use a budget. God, God told me to use a budget through Dave Ramsey. <laughs> told me to use that Dave Ramsey budget. That's what he said. I budgeted 10 and one eighth percent. I'm over the top. 
planting more than I did last year, Tim. And I'll think about it and I'll think, God, am I treating harvesting like some calculation? Like that you can't do 30, 60, and 100 past if I will trust you. That you can't take something, if you can't take something that I've got right now, and I'm going to trust you with it, Lord. So what happens is, is whether it's money or emotions or or friendships, or whatever you want to add into it, are we trusting God with enough of the harvest to make an impact? Are we saying, Lord, you have given me an abundance, and so now I'm taking out of that abundance, and now I'm going to replant because I want this cycle. I'm not just going to live over here, and this what you gave me over here because it's going to start raining one day and you're going to expect me to actually go back to work. You're going to actually expect me to go back and harvest. You're actually going to expect me not to live in that thing. And you see the cycle happen. Elijah, I'll provide for you by the brook, but there's a time for you where that miracle is going to end and I need you to trust me for another miracle. So lady, I'm going to provide for you until the rain starts, but then it's time to trust me for another miracle. And my fear is, and in, in our lives is that we're trusting him from still in a miracle from 20 years ago. And we haven't said, Lord, I'm getting another miracle today. I harvested last year and out of last year's harvest, it was nice. I'm telling you, it was nice. And so I'm looking for another miracle. Here it is. I didn't need it all. I didn't consume it all. I didn't even go according to the budget. I blew the budget out of the water. My people think I'm crazy. Can you imagine the woman back, walking back to fix the bread? What are you doing? I'm fixing the profit of a loaf of bread. You ain't got no food. I know. <laughs> I'm trusting God. I'm trusting God. This is the way the cycle works. This is the way the cycle works. We plant and we harvest. We plant and we harvest. We plant and we harvest. And if we want to harvest more, we end up having to plant more. And I thought, especially this week, of passing a Billy Graham. I started asking myself the question, am I planting enough to make a difference? Now let's back up a little bit here. I'm planting enough to be comfortable. <laughs> why, why did you just say amen, man? That brother, I'm, com- I'm planting enough to be comfortable, amen? Come on, the majority of us are planting enough to be comfortable. We're not waiting on the prophet to come in to figure out how we're going to eat. We're planning enough to be comfortable. Lord, I'm going to church. But God is starting to twist me a little bit. And he's going, are you planning enough to make a difference? Because making a difference doesn't always mean comfortable. Making a difference doesn't always mean less work. Making a difference doesn't always mean making a difference means I got to plant more. If I'm going to go out of this thing making a difference and I started to look at our culture and how crazy it is and how insane and in the middle of the insaneness as in the days of Noah that we talked about Billy Graham's being elevated and I thought ooh he planted enough to make a difference he planted enough to make a difference and I just don't want to be comfortable anymore Lord I just don't want my Christian existence 
being determined by what I do with the leftover of all this comfortableness. I want it to make a difference. So Lord, turn me inside out. Do whatever you have to do. If the brook has to dry up, if we have to have a famine, if you have to run out of food, I don't know how far we should go if you want to, if you want to, if we, if we have to do all these things to make a difference, then let me plan enough to make a difference. Because I don't know about you. There's people out there that need us to make a difference. Amen? There's a, there's a city and a town and a community around you that needs you to make a difference. And we're going to wake up one day and wish we were harvesting on something we had planted last year. We're going to wake up one day and wish we were harvesting on a bunker crop because we planted it. And my fear is, is that the church, we're just not planting enough. We're just not planting enough. We're losing ground every year. The church as a whole in America is losing ground every year. How do we turn the tide? We plant more. We plant more. Now, before you walk out of the building going, he just wants more of my money, how much have you invested in the relationships in your neighbors? If if money makes you uncomfortable, then so be it. When's the last time you walked over and said, I need to plant more in the guy across the street? I need to plant more in the guy that plays the music too loud behind me. Because maybe God will give me a harvest of quiet. I don't know. But I need to plant more. I need to plant more in these people because... We cannot consistently lose ground as a church in a country and then expect everything to still change. We have to plant for the harvest that we want. And if we want a revival, then we got to plant more than we did last year. If we want the, the, our, our society to turn towards God, what we planted last year didn't definitely get it. So we turn around and we go, this is all we have. Do something with what we have, Lord, it's yours. And what does God do? He walks in on the scene. He says, that's enough. That's enough. Just turn over to me and watch what's possible. Do we even know what's possible? Do we even know what's possible? Come on, the band's going to come up. Stand to your feet. Do we even know? Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Father, I'm praying for a spirit of resourcefulness to fall on this church, on your people. God, that you'd put us in a miracle of what we have going further so that what we are doing can be more impactful. I pray, God, that the work we put our hands to, Lord, that the return will be great. I pray, Lord, that we plant enough to make a difference into our relationships, into our marriages, into our kids, into our community, into our church. I pray that we wouldn't segment areas of our life, but we'd take our lives as a whole and we'd invest them in a way that would make a difference, God. I pray that because this church learned how to plant and harvest, it would change a community. I pray that it would change a town, a city. I pray that as far and wide as you would let us plant, God, that the harvest would come. Lord, we have the seed. We will plant it. And we will depend on you for the increase. 
Teach us this today, God. Transform our lives today. Burden us today with the necessity of this. And we thank you for it. We thank you for it. Come on, church. Could you give... Hey, listen, encourage somebody with this word this week. Invest in somebody. Invest in the kingdom. Invest in your friends. Invest in your marriage. Plant where you want to harvest. And God will give you the increase. Amen? Come on, we'll see you back here next week. God bless. Thank you for joining us today. If you would like us to pray for you this week, or if you have any questions for us, please message Hedgesville Church through Facebook or the contact button on the website at hedgesville.church. If you did not have the opportunity to give during the service but would like to, you can click on the Give button on your screen. As part of our church family, we invite you to contribute to the Far and Wide Capital Campaign to reach our neighborhoods, nations, and the world with the love of God. We appreciate our online family, and we're really glad you joined us today. Please join us next week at either 10 o'clock or at 1130 as we continue this series, Stretch. We'll see you then, and have a great day. God bless you.